This totally sponsor-free episode of Tips from the Top Floor might change your photography forever, or at least one aspect of it. And to get there, all you'll have to do is spend five minutes of your time. This is Tips from the Top Floor 889 for January the 26th, 2020. Tips from the top, from the top floor, tips from the top, all right, from the top floor. <gasps> Hello. <laughs> Thanks for hanging in there. This is Chris Mockhart. You're listening to Tips from the Top Floor. It is the end of January. Yeah, and I've received a few questions from you guys with with concerns. Where are the new episodes? Why are you not podcasting anymore? I did not stop, but th thanks for missing me. Um, I just took a bit of a break and it was kind of necessary. So, you know, like a lot of things came together. Um, among other things, I mean, I've been juggling three upcoming photo tours with like stuff like visa formalities, lots of emailing with participants, doing my flight reservations. And it's kind of, it's pretty normal for what I do, but it's always a bit of a frenzy. It's it's really take it takes it takes uh, something out out of me. Is that how I say it? Anyway, I, and also I kind of simply need to break after the end of the year. It was a bit of a marathon. Um, like one example, Henry and I did almost like three months of pre-production for our uh, for our Arctic and Antarctic podcast, Curiously Polar, because Henry is right now on a ship in the Antarctic as a guide for several months. So that was just just one thing that had to be done. Um, or let's say I wanted to do it because, <clears throat> yeah, it, it's really something that is near and dear to my heart. Um, but there was also like lots of other production work and some writing for a couple of articles. And then, yeah, sometimes it's just as much time as I have. And I don't know if, if that happens to you. That's one one other thing. But during during the winter months... Um, with like the shorter days and less light, it my motivation just isn't as high as like during other parts of the year, and yeah, that's especially true in winter. And this winter was even more true because you know there was a lot of gray, no snow, just not so much light, not a lot of sun, not a lot, not a lot of direct sun. Um, so it's this kind of murky gray sometimes that goes on for days, and for me that. That really kind of pushes me down a bit and results in a kind of lack of motivation. It's it's not like a full blown, uh, a full blown like winter depression or something, but you know it, it. Yeah, it just it does have its influence. I cannot deny that. But uh, if I <laughs> if I could, if I could afford it, uh, I would spend. October, November, December, January, f maybe into February in, in New Zealand. I would totally do that. But uh, alas, I'm poor. I can't do that. <laughs> but I totally would. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's now the end of January. The days are getting noticeably longer again. Uh, and uh, in general, I've, I've had some good R&R during the last month and... I've still kept busy preparing stuff, so all is good. But hey, it's time to pick up the torch again here on Tips from the Top Floor. And I'm happy that you haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> Thank you for being patient with me. 
Uh, oh, this is also the first sponsor-free episode of 2020. As announced, I'm no longer working with my ad agency because of the privacy concerns. And there was a lot in the in the in in the recent episodes. So if you want to catch up on that, just listen back a few episodes. And your donations are what keeps this show afloat now. And that's uh, that's that's why I wanted to say thanks to the new patrons since the last episode. Um, I'm, I hope I'm not forgetting anyone: Peter, Bill, Jeff, Robert, Frank, Terry, William, and James. You guys are awesome. Um, I will also put all your names on the Patreon Wall of Fame, um, like all the other patrons. That's the page with all of your names, and and this is kind of my way of kind of giving back. And uh, unless you don't want your name to be there, uh, and if you're on the three dollar level or higher on Patreon, um, feel free to email me at uh, a web address that you want me to link your name to, because that's what I do. One of the perks. Uh, one last thing before we dive into the photography. I've also set up a donations uh, account where you can donate here in the Eurozone via a SEPA transfer. Um, if you if you are in Europe, you know what that means. Um, it's, just an, it's just an official account that you can easily transfer money to. So if you have a donation or even a standing order uh, here in Germany, that's kind of the thing among podcasters now that people try to go around the platforms uh, because it's really the best method because it's direct. It avoids pretty much all fees. Like if you donate through Patreon, which I'm super grateful for, but there is like up to like, I don't know, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's like 30% of your donation that gets eaten up in the process by Patreon, by PayPal, which is how they pay me. So if you're in the Eurozone, a SEPA transfer is the way to go. And anyway, thanks all for your amazing support. Here is another episode of Tips from the Top Floor. And um, we'll start with picture-taking time. Now, I... I have, I've, I'm getting interesting, but also mixed feedback on this. Um, it's this is the this is the, the time I've established this for a few episodes where you where you get a mini assignment. When I look online on the social media under the hashtags that I, that I give you for this, um, I do not see a lot of engagement there, and I. Um, yeah, I, I wonder why that is, but I guess maybe it helps if I explain to you a bit better why I'm doing this, why I'm doing this picture-taking time thing. Um, because it has to do with... I mean, there's, a, there's a reason for it. It's, it's not just me filling time. It's not just me trying to, I don't know, sound smart. <laughs> it has to do with three fundamental things in photography, and they are the, they are technique, and in no particular order, by the way, technique, creativity, and uh, it's hard, hard to put my thumb on it, but, my, but I guess it's I can probably call it that, call that intuition. And all these little assignments have a goal; they aim at helping you improve in one of those areas. So every time I put it out an assignment, it's because I, I it's an offer to you to help improve. You have to pick it up, though. Um, and they are all things that you would probably not do on your own. I know myself, okay? 
I know that for a lot of these things, I need a reason to do it. I need to be prompted from the outside. I need someone to prod me with a stick and go, do it. This is my job here. I'm prodding you with the stick. So here's, here's some examples. If you, I don't know, if you force yourself to switch it up, if you force yourself to break one or one or more of your photography rules, that will help you take an, an outside viewpoint at yourself. And in the best case, it will help you add a new tool to your to your photography creativity tool belt. And uh, if you try a new technique, something that you wouldn't do, because I don't know, no one has poked you with a stick about it, uh, and and you're doing the same on the technical side, right? You are adding tools to your tool belt worst case worst case you'll go meh that's not for me but at least you've tried it and best case is you go oh wow that really changed something i might incorporate that into my photography in the future i don't know i like i can't <laughs> i kind of see my role a bit like i don't know for, forcing your kid to at least try broccoli right it might you might still not like it but at least now you know why, right? <laughs> and in general, in general, and that's really a, kind of a, a, a basis for uh, for why I like this. If you mix things up, if you add more viewpoints to your photography, figuratively and literally, then then you're on your way to becoming a better photographer. So that's why I give you these mini assignments, and that's why you can directly benefit from this show. You know. It, it, there's so much like, okay, I listen to two and a half million podcasts, my podcatcher is full, and I learn so much, but in the end, you will not be able to do these things unless you do them, unless you try them. It's all in the doing. So, yeah, do you do yourself a favor. Set aside these five minutes and do these assignments. You might not have an, an immediate benefit like right after this you won't be like oh i'm the king now no things need practice but over time especially in the rear view mirror you will see how the specific things influenced your approach to photography i have plenty of examples for myself things i do differently now that i can trace back exactly to something like this so yeah do yourself a favor and participate and uh five minutes that's all it takes let me know about how it went uh Send me a little voicemail, voice at tfttf.com. So anyway, long intro, very long intro. By the way, if you have ideas how I could increase, improve the engagement on this kind of a thing, like picture taking time, the community engagement, then hey, by all means, let me know. Come on the Slack. Let's talk about this. I'm open to suggestions on how to yeah, how how to move this forward? Because I I think a show like this needs people need to have a tangible result from listening to this show and maybe doing a few things. Anyway, here in a long winded way, long winded, long winded. My English is not at, the, at its best today. Here's the week's the week's mini assignment. Uh, we do these on every episode, and to have a bit of a framework, we're doing this by the alphabet. And today's the letter E. And the assignment is, I feel like a bit like Sesame Street, the letter E. Um, the assignment is exposure. And here's what I want you to do. Break your patterns. Again, this is one of these breaking your patterns assignments. Uh, break your patterns for exposure. Uh, like if you always shoot in automatic mode, hey, switch your camera out of that. Switch it to manual mode. 
and do some experiments. Play five, spend five minutes experimenting with manual mode. Or if you if you religiously always shoot in aperture priority because someone in the blog once told you that that's how you should do it, then switch it up. Try shutter priority. Try deliberate long exposures and see what the, how the camera reacts to that. And if you never really thought about these terms, then it's yeah. What what is exposure? What is that thing? It's always been on the green box. Then then it's time to dig out that camera manual. By the way, all camera manuals are online somewhere, so if, <laughs> there's no excuse and I can't find it. Uh, Google manual and then the the. the the, the label on your camera and you will find the manual and then spend a few minutes, five minutes reading about what those modes do. Just knowing even a tiny little bit more about exposure has the potential to to fundamentally change your photography. And then post your photos on any social media that you like and let's see what you can come up with. And the, the official hashtag for this in, this assignment is TFTTF uh, hashtag assignment, hashtag exposure. All right, here's here's another thing that uh, that I wanted to briefly bring up, and this is something that irks me. Uh, very selfish, but uh, so the second edition of uh, of our film photography handbook has been released a short while ago in English in the U.S. And of course, it's, uh, there's one place in particular that. That an author will uh, will keep an eye on, and that's the reviews on Amazon. So um, when I checked the other day, and I, and I know that several of you have bought the book, and I would uh, I would expect a, several of you would have uh, bought it in in uh, from Amazon, and. It's the, okay, this is a weird mix between German and English because there's a German Amazon.de, there's Amazon.com in the US and so on. And and the reviews, the star ratings and the reviews are some... I, Amazon does a weird thing mixing them. I'm not sure that you guys in the States see the German reviews, but when we enable something on the site, I, we can also see the English reviews um, and anyway, the, the Film Photography Handbook, the second edition... Is like three stars, which it, it was very much lower than than the I don't know four and a half or four point seven stars of the first edition. So so given the fact that this is a new the new and improved edition that we put a lot of work into to make it like even more complete and more more comprehensive and more valuable, I kind of would have expected something a little more than those three stars. So I looked at the reviews and it turns out well first of all it. Again, you might see something different. So, um, but anyway, it, first of all, I, it was kind of only two reviews, and uh, the first one was like praising the book, five stars, very flattering. I'm very, very grateful for that. Uh, very complimentary about the book, uh, and then the <laughs> the other one was like one star. And of course, I mean, as an author, it's like, oh, why? What's wrong? And I checked the review and I read it and it wasn't a review about the book and its contents. It's a, the German review, okay? Um, and obviously what happened is someone from Germany has ordered the second edition of the film photography handbook in Germany. So you can uh, you can get the English version on the German Amazon. And uh, the first thing it says in their review is 
<laughs> starts with, I haven't looked inside the book just yet. So it's clearly not a review about the book itself. It's about something else. And the, the review continues like, uh, here's how the book arrived. And it shows a photo of a of a corner of the book having a being like smashed in slightly uh, from the whoever transported the book. So <laughs> it's a complaint about, I don't know, DHL or FedEx or whoever transported the book to Germany. Um, or may, maybe it's even a complaint about Amazon because... I don't know, they might not have been handling it well or they might have uh, packaged it not well enough for such a long trip. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, what this review is doing is it's, it's kind of unproportionately drags down the entire rating and it turns, it, tur- it hurts the sales of the book pretty much. I mean, if you look at a book and it's only got three stars, a lot of people won't read the reviews. They will just see the stars and go, eh, it's probably not good and then go away. And... And I, I fully understand the frustration when something arrives damaged. Um, but I don't think that's what the review system is made for. I think it's pretty clear in the in the rules that they have somewhere that that's not what it's made for. I, I tried to I emailed Amazon and they're like, "No, nah, we can't. This is we can't take this off, and this is a final decision." So anyway, if a book arrives damaged, if anything arrives damaged, then the seller uh, has an obligation to replace it. With a good, with a good one, and Amazon does that here, at least here. <laughs> I, yeah. So, d- turning that frustration into a one-star rating for for the product itself is kind of painful. And anyway, I, I tried. It's there's a report this review button. I'm not sure it's doing anything. I'm not sure if you can't even see it. But <clears throat> the one thing I would like to ask you, if you bought the second edition of the Film Photography Handbook, uh, I think the only way right now is to kind of try to 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 have more reviews that that speak about the book. Whatever they say about the book, it has this. I, I, if you only give it three stars because you are disappointed, then I'm very sorry. But then that's that's what the review is going to be like. But then it's a real review, and I think we, uh, it, it, that's the only way to kind of not make this as important by having more reviews about the book. That's what I'm saying. So if you bought the second edition, uh, I would totally appreciate if you could. Um, yeah, review it. So, anyway, we are at the first caller. Um, it's Earl. Hi, Chris. This is Earl in San Diego, California. I received as a gift for Christmas your Film Photography Handbook, second edition, and it has given me the itch to shoot some film again. I have a Canon AE-1 35mm as well as a Mamiya 645 medium format camera. Also, I have a Holga. May have to dig it out. Each year in February, I have the opportunity to take photographs of operating steam locomotives over 100 years old, and I figured this would be a great chance to try some different film. My question for you is, with the unique film available, what kind of film would you suggest, black and white color, or both, for a situation where locomotives are black and the background is more than likely going to be snow with some bare earth and shrubs poking through? I'm very interested in hearing what you have to say. Keep up the great podcast and have a very happy new year. Thank you, Earl. Thank you so much. Um, so yeah, I want to shoot steam locomotives. Um, <laughs> this this is your first problem. Uh, at least here in Europe, a lot of the steam locomotives are black, and then your background is snow, 
and white and maybe some dirt or mountains or hills and stuff. Um, in general, I mean, you are, you're setting yourself up for a tough situation because in general, a steam locomotive from the ground, shot from the ground, you likely have to have a lot of sky as the backdrop. Um, or you have a busy backdrop. Um, so uh, the, the problem with the sky is, yeah, the big contrast between the black locomotive and the bright sky. Um, the other possible issue is the, if the background is too busy. Um, and a steam locomotive in itself is a busy subject, right? There's lots of pipes and wheels and nuts and pulleys and whatever <laughs> these things have. But um, so, so my first, my first thing would be to try to diffuse the background, to make the background something that's a bit more uniform. Um, and you can do this by finding. A different vantage point by finding a higher vantage point something that will then the line of sight will be that the ground is behind the subject that is one way of doing it um and that has two advantages if the ground is the background it removes the contrast between the train and the background like it's not the sky anymore so you can expose higher uh without expo overexposing something and the second is the ground becomes the background and it's again much often much cleaner than what you find as the background of a locomotive when you're on the ground itself. So um, that's one thing. The other thing might be if you do not have a choice in the vantage point, then try a longer focal length and go further away. It kind of requires a, a clear sight line, of course, but then you could, with a telephoto lens, try to blur out the background a bit more and get some more attention onto the sharp thing which then is the locomotive but i think the vantage point thing is really interesting so try to get on something I mean, is there a bridge or is there an upper floor of a building or could you even fly a drone so also of course there are other compository elements like rails that make for a great line line to guide your eye towards a train But if you can't raise, and we'll get to the film selection in a second, if you can't raise your vantage point, or if the background is bright, white, you're, again, more likely to run in contrast issues, and uh, the choice of film does have an influence there. But before we get to the film, here's another thing that will make the contrast situation worse, and that's when you're on a train station platform. At least here in Germany, train station platforms often work like this, where the passengers waiting on a platform, they are under a roof, while the train itself the, and the tracks themselves are not covered by the roof. Because why would they, right? The train is rainproof after all. But um, that roof for the passengers makes the contrast issue even worse because then the daylight will not even properly reach the already dark front of the train or the side of the train. So the, the dark part of the train becomes even darker while the sky is still the same brightness. So uh, these structures will not only shield rain, they will shield light. And many digital cameras will have an issue with that, you, you, where you kind of have the choice between exposing the train well and uh, then overexposing the sky or exposing the sky well and uh, getting an underexposed black train in the shade. So I would try to shoot those kind of pictures in an open setting, not in a train station. Unless not in one that has elements that block light coming 
to the train. Unfortunately, the open setting might often mean that that you shoot the train while it's in motion, right? With like uh, that ups the pressure because you have to be ready and set uh, and set that, that uh, you can't just repeat shots as you like. So that's your setup. Uh, you'll either try to fight the strong contrast, or you won't have a lot of time to get the shot. <sighs> in addition, you want to shoot this from. Uh, the, if you said you want to shoot this on film, which initially might sound like an additional complication but actually choosing the analog medium might be in your favor and here's why um there's there's different kinds of film right there's color negative there's black and white negative there's color positive also called slide film and the one type that really works in high contrast situations is color negative film Color negative film is very, very, uh, how do we call this? Flexible, right? Um, You easily can overexpose most color negative film by two, three, four stops and it won't even budge. It won't even blink. Um, The other types of film need a bit of a different uh, treatment. Black and white negative film and and the positive slide film... um, are are there but again if you if you want to shoot the train with a bright background high contrast situation uh then the the color negative film will but out of the box give you a high high uh range in in the brightness the only potential issue with color negative film is that it's kind of harder to digitize at home, so it makes more sense if you have someone professionally dig- digitize it, right? On the other hand, if you shoot slide film, which is a positive film, and it's easy to... It's what you see is what you get. It's easy to digitize. You can just put it on a light box and take a macro shot of it. But its contrast range is very limited. So you kind of have to nail the exposure and... The strong contrast won't really help that. So slide film, you kind of have to make a choice. Is the train well exposed or is the sky well exposed? But uh, one of the two will probably suffer. So don't use slide film unless you have the contrast under control. And again, contrast under control means different vantage point, different background. Get the background closer to the train's brightness in uh, in terms of reflectivity. But... Let's get to the third film. That's my favorite. Black and white negative film. Because it it really has a special place here. Because you can influence its contrast range. You can, if if you develop it yourself, you have a lot of control here. With color negative film, that's made to be processed in a lab, kind of in an automated process. So there's not much influence you have there. But black and white you have influence on his contrast range based on how you expose and develop it. Yes, it's like a rubber band. And you decide how you want it to handle contrast. And that's what makes it so versatile. Um, You kind of have to develop it yourself, really, to make that happen. Um, And what I'm talking about is is called pull development. Now, you have the Film Photography Handbook, so you've seen the chapter about pool development. Uh, but let me spend a, a minute going into that because uh, when I first learned about this, it kind of blew my mind. So when you buy a roll of film, 
it has an ISO value printed on it. Like it says ISO 100, 400, 800, and so on. And and normally you would you would set the light meter in the camera to that ISO value, and then the camera will take that into account when doing when using its light meter, and it gives the film the right amount of light. It's the same way a digital camera works, just that you're more flexible with the ISO. But yeah, it's 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 pretty much exactly like a digital camera again. Uh, just with the fixed ISO because that's tied to the film, but in in actuality it isn't tied to the film. Let me repeat that: the ISO on a film, the ISO on the label of the film, is not a God-given value. You can override that. It's your decision if you want to expose an ISO 400 film as if it was an ISO 100 film or as if it was an ISO 1600 film. Yes, let that sink in. So let's say you have an ISO 400 film. It says 400 on the box, but you set your camera's light meter to ISO 200. So now the camera just treats it, treats the film as if it was an ISO 200 film. So the camera will give the film twice the amount of light than you should. Then it says on the box, right? So you give your film too much light. And that will have a result in the pictures being too bright, right? That's what we would expect. And that's true. But there's that film development step. Like between the final photo, you have that step of developing the film first. And that's where you can adjust you can adjust for the different exposure. Now you know this film has been overexposed. This film has seen more light. And the pull development, that's why we why we uh well, that's how we call it. Um the pull development, which means you adjust the parameters in development and there's recipes for that. Um you would overexpose the film and kind of underdevelop it. And as a result, you will get more stops of range out of the black and white film. You will make this film see more nuances in the light. And uh, I try to take that as far as possible on a photo workshop. And uh, we, we, we played with this and we ended up with like a 15 or 16 f-stop range on on the, the roll of film. And when photographing that train, I, you probably wouldn't even want to go that far. So just expo- just extending that that dynamic range of the film by a couple of couple of three stops, um, you'd probably have your solution there. So that might be <laughs> that might be a good a good Prompt. This is my stick. I'm Earl. I'm poking you with the stick right now to go and try the pull development. Um, get your massive dev chart uh, database and look at pull developments. Then that'll tell you what films are good for pulling. That'll tell you what uh, what a developer might be good for pulling. I like for pulling. I like D76. So that might that might get you to try a different developer and uh, the the. That might teach you about timings and then do a few experiments and you will have that new tool under your tool belt, the pool development. It's very underrated, um, but so satisfying. So, so satisfying. 
All right, there we are at the end of this episode. Thank you so much. The first officially sponsor-free episode. So, yeah, just an enormously big, huge thank you to all of you wonderful, amazing people who support this show on Patreon and via other means. So, I remember without further ado, here's the ever long, longer and longer list of supporters on Patreon. Chris Hicks, N. Kyung, Jeremy Kirvin, Matt Armstead, Peter Morrow, Roger Nadel, Peter M. Spradling, Jeffrey Block, Alex Crozo, Amy Brooks, Bernard Kelly, Daniel Hertrich, Doug Gabbard, Philip Feely, Gerald Leger, Jacob Lloyd Peterson, Ken Davidson, Leslie Redland, Marco Binder, Robert Henry, Scott Wurzel, Tom Stewart, Wayne Batzer, William Roberts, William, Aaron, Aaron Pinasov, Robert Gilroy, Stu Silverman, Alan Bruce Horn, Andrew B. Andrew, Anthony, Bill Batman, Carol Como, Chadley Clark, Chandra, Colin Oatley, Dane, Nieder, Daniel Goldberg, Dave Smith, David Austin, David Recht, Earl Grad, Francesco Scaglioni, Frank, Frank Eberle, Jeff, PB, Gills, Greg Anastasi, Hank Schiffman, Holger Krupp, James Muller, James Trimble, Jeffrey Johnson, Jim Caldwell, John Donahue, John Floyd, Josh Hopko, Just Me MR, Ken Berrien, Kanishioka, Manuel Pardo, Man, Mark Overstreet, Marvin Aaron, Michael Grunert, Nicholas Gurry, Norske, Peter Lee, Rob Duber, J Rob Jemmett, Robert Goschko, Robert Shields, Robert Francois Mayon, Ryan Gilio, Sina Farad, Steven Sandler, Terry England, Tobias Wolf, Toby, Thomas Nielsen, Trevor Palmer, and Woody. Oh, wow. This is, yeah, you guys are amazing. You, you you probably get an idea how this list is growing and the support is growing and I'm over the moon of course um, thanks all again that's like a total of 142 dollars per episode which at least pays for some of the time I'm spending into this uh, I'm putting into this and I really really appreciate your support even though some of that is is lost in the in the feed jungle but anyway you guys are awesome what you do really matters and of course if anyone feels like supporting the show join the wonderful group of supporters at tfttf.com slash support and of course if you just like this episode you can also just buy me a coffee at tfttf.com slash coffee Music for the show by Jeff Smith, Silent Partner, and HP Gerud Publishing and Slack Challenges by Release Pixie, Matt Afstar, Rumstead. Rumstead? <laughs> this is a new one. Matt Rassinar Armstead. Slack Imitations by Chief Imitation Officer CIO Rusty Russ. You guys are awesome. Thanks for hanging in there and, uh, and sticking with this. And uh, the link to get on the Slack is in the show notes tfttf.com slash slack. My name is Chris Marquardt. You'll find me on social media at Chris M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T. Now go out and take amazing photos. Share them with the world. Be nice to each other. And happy shooting. <laughs> <laughs>